Okay, Daniel chapter 11. If you've read it, maybe you understand why Daniel fainted uh, when he was receiving this vision. So if you hear a loud noise in the background, it's Dave fainting. I'll give you some encouragement though before we get started. One commentator, H.C. Leopold, says, We do not see how it, meaning Daniel chapter 11, could be used for a sermon or sermons. James Montgomery Boyce, in his um, commentary on Daniel, um, says that when he first began to preach through Daniel, uh, earlier in his commentary he had said this that Daniel is the only book that he preached through twice at his church, uh, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. But he said as he began to preach through it, one of the elders came up to him and said, are you going to do the second half of the book? He said normally that would be a strange question because he always preaches through a whole book. But in this case, the question wasn't strange because of just the nature of the two halves of the book of Daniel. First one being mainly narrative and the second one being prophecy. The second half that is being prophecy. So let's see what we can glean from Daniel chapter 11 and even, even the first couple of verses of, of chapter 12 with that kind of introduction or background. Um, we always want to pray before we do Bible study. I think it's more, even more imperative with this sort of passage. Father, we thank You for Your Word and God. We know that it reveals so much to us about who You are, Your character, your holiness, your righteousness. God, speak to us today through this passage. Open our, our hearts and minds that we may gain understanding, but also, God, give action to our, our feet, our hands, our mouths, as, as we too live as exiles in this world that's not our home. Just as Daniel and and, and his friends did so many years ago. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Sinclair Ferguson writes that all teachers and preachers must face, must face the inevitable question when they come to this passage. The question that's based on 2 Timothy 3.16. How is such a passage profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness? He kind of answers that question at the, at the end of his uh, chapter on, in his commentary on Daniel 11, that he says, after all is said on this difficult chapter, we should not lose sight of the fact that it is that its whole function was to, to encourage Daniel to faithfulness in prayer by showing him that the real conflict lying behind world events is a spiritual conflict 
in parentheses, then you'd see he, he, he writes chapter 10, the prince of Persia. The Lord was teaching Daniel that the real weapon of the, of the church is prayer. Fail in the work of prayer and we fail to understand this great vision. So, Daniel 11, starting in verse 2. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside these. Sinclair Ferguson also says that the purpose of Daniel 11 will be missed unless we remember that chapters 10, 11, and 12 are unity. They're one unit. So remember, and you thought I was going to get way ahead of myself and not even say this, what are the three most important things in biblical interpretation, hermeneutics? Context, context, context. So you knew, I guess maybe you knew I would work that in somehow. Ian Duguid, another commentator on the book of Daniel, reminds us again also that the larger unit is chapter 10, 11, and 12. And so don't we can't separate one from from another it's it's one happening in Daniel's life and it's important to remember how it how it started in chapter 10 as, as we move as we move forward so turn back one page or maybe maybe in your bible it's still on the same page but that the the vision that Daniel received started in the third year of Cyrus the king of Persia 536 BC Cyrus had made a decree and, and allowed the Jews to return home from exile to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and they had gotten started on it actually made some sacrifices not in the temple but there in Jerusalem and the opposition swiftly rose up against them from, from people living in the land, and the work on the temple just, just halted. That, that optimism that had been of such uh, great motivation and encouragement to them as they traveled from Babylon back to, to Jerusalem soon was, was uh, displaced or replaced with discouragement and despair. Daniel, I think, had had learned of this 
despair and discouragement and the stopping of the work on the temple. And what did he do? Back in, in verse 2, chapter 10, said that I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks, ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine. Daniel mourned and fasted. And it doesn't say prayed, but knowing Daniel, just it's I think it's a safe bet to say, and he prayed. And it was during the at the after three weeks of mourning and fasting that God sent an answer, a response to Daniel's fasting and praying. It's a direct response from God to to Daniel's prayer. So we should expect that response, this vision that he has, that Daniel receives, to, to speak a message to, to Daniel, who is probably feeling the same discouragement, but also a message to discouraged believers today. I like what Ian Duguid says about that. And just in response to difficulties. He said, If your Christian life moves daily from triumph to triumph as you effortlessly grow in your knowledge of God and your victory over sin, then you can probably skip this chapter. However, if you know what it is to struggle and fail when you attempt to do what God has told you to do, so that you find yourself wondering why you should even bother to try again, then this chapter is designed for you. If you ever wonder where God is in your life and how to make sense of the gap between His glorious promises of a new and, and triumphant experience of blessing on the one hand, and the grinding difficulty and discouragement of your daily life on the other hand, then read on. And he concludes that, that paragraph with, Israel's history provides an example from which we can learn how God's work in the world in the world and thus discern okay Israel his, Israel's history provides an example from which we can learn how God works in the world and thus discern how he may be at work in our own little lives so back to the context Daniel had been fasting, mourning, praying for three weeks. He was out standing by the, the, the Tigris River, and he lifted up his eyes and he saw this man and then gave this, this description of this man. Those that were with Daniel didn't see him, but they were afraid they left. And then that angel explained to Daniel, Daniel, you're greatly loved. Your prayers have been heard. As soon as your words went up to God, He heard them, sent me, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia delayed me 21 days until Michael came. He, goes, he has to encourage Daniel. He has to lift him up, touch him. Chapter 10 mentioned that, that he touched Daniel three times and Daniel finally regained his strength there at the at the end of, ch of chapter 10 
In verse 21, he says, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except Michael, your prince. As for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So this angel has been strengthening Darius the Mede, allowing these things to happen with with for Israel uh, now under the Medes and Persian Empire, and then he then he goes on and he begins to tell Daniel what's going to happen. What what is the truth? Verse two, chapter eleven, verse two. Now I will show you the truth. And behold, three more kings shall rise in Persia, and a fourth shall be richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he will. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of the heaven, but not to his posterity nor according to the authority which he, with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. The angel begins by telling Daniel what's going to happen in the near future from 536 BC, third year of, of Cyrus, to about 165 BC, the near future. So that's, you know, nearly 400 years. But things that, are, that will begin happening soon. Three more kings will rise in, in Persia, and then a fourth. And after them, a mighty king shall arise in Greece, Alexander the Great. We could divide the chapter in, into four parts. Uh, verses 2 through 4, just more of the immediate uh, history that's going to happen the, the end of Persia, the rise of Alexander the Greek, and then uh, verses 5 through 19, the uh, Ptolemaic and Seleucid empires that come out of Alexander, and then verse 20 through 35, uh, and Antiochus Epiphanes, and then verse 36 through, actually through about the fourth verse of, of uh, chapter 12, a greater Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the future Antichrist. The history nerd of me wants to read every verse and say, okay, this is who this is, but I'm not going to do it. So, so if you want to pause at any time, remember there's a pause button on your on, on your uh, device, computer, or iPhone, and, and, and read through each section just to get an idea. But this, this immediate part of this is now history to us. It was all prophecy to Daniel. Even verse 2 is prophecy to Daniel, things in the future for him. But really up to verse 35, it is clearly in our past. It's, it's history. But that's caused a lot of 
more liberal scholars to have problems with how could Daniel have been written in the 6th century BC and yet he got all of these things so accurate. He begins by saying three kings shall arise and, and then a, a fourth. Cambyses, the next king after, after Cyrus the Great in Persia, then Gamata, uh, then Darius the Great, and finally Xerxes, who made an attempt, invaded uh, Greece, or moved toward Greece, but was, was defeated, kind of began the downfall of, of the Mede and Persian Empire. He was unsuccessful in trying to conquer Greece. He was, he was defeated. Uh, perhaps you've heard the place the, at the Battle of Marathon. That motivated Philip of Macedonian and other, others in, 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 in Macedon and, and Greece to be prepared and ultimately led to Alexander the Great becoming the, the, the king and ruler and conqueror of the world in, in 334 BC. When he died, when Alexander the Great died in, 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 in 323 BC, we see he, he arose, but his kingdom was broken and divided to the four winds. When Alexander the Great died, his, his four generals took over, not his posterity, not his children or his wife. They were, they were all uh, murdered to, to get them out of the way. Four of his generals took and divided his kingdom. Um, Antipater, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. The verses 5 through 19 and really 5 through 35 um, deal with two of the kings. The king of the south, Ptolemy, and, the, and that dynasty. And then the king of the north this is Seleucus or the Seleucid Empire, being Syria and Babylon. So, so chapter, verses 5 through 19 deal with the next kings of the Ptolemaic Empire, the south. So when you read, the king of the south shall be strong, that's Egypt and, and down south. The king of, you'll, we'll read later about the king of the north, that's Syria, Babylon. What is in between? Just think about, you know, look at the back in your, in your, uh, your maps or just think in your head, what does this part of, of Asia down into uh, the northern part of Africa look like? What's in between Egypt and Syria? Israel. So it's going to be this conflict that is going on between the Ptolemaic dynasty and the Seleucid dynasty, and Israel is caught right in the middle. John Calvin writes about 40 pages detailing all of the kings that, that, are, that are discussed here and the events that are, that are documented in history. Uh, you know, of course, he, he's writing in the 17th century, but still got a lot of it right. Even, even then they knew 
of, of the history. Let's just look at a couple briefly, and then if you, uh, you know, the plan is once we begin back at First Baptist in the Fellowship Hall is re-studying Daniel so that we can just get the input from other people because I know by now you're really tired of listening to me. Um, so, so maybe we can go into it in more detail then. Uh, if you haven't heard, starting August 30th, so two weeks from now, we will have Sunday School, Lord willing, in the Fellowship Hall. 945. The first section though uh, in, 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 in this this in, in, in this vision of the uh, Potomac or, or Ptolemaic and the Seleucid Empire. Verse 5, then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be a a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up in her attendance. He who fathered her, and he who supported her in those time, times. And from a branch, from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for, year, and for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come in the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land." In this portion of the, of the prophecy, it says a daughter of the king of the south is going to make an alliance with the king of the north. The Ptolemies were in the south, the Seleucids in the north. The daughter, it's the daughter of Ptolemy II. Her name is Bernice. Ptolemy makes a contract, a marriage contract and he gives her to uh, Antiochus Theos as a political marriage arrangement that was common in, in those days, even in more recent history. Antiochus had to divorce his first wife, his first wife though, to marry Bernice. This caused, as, I mean, this is no great surprise, hatred and friction. Bernice was poisoned after which Antiochus remarried his first wife. Then Bernice was avenged by her brother, another Ptolemy, who attacked Syria and looted its temple. Josephus says that uh, he carried, a, carried away 4,000 talents of gold, 40,000 talents of silver, 250 objects that had been in the cities and the temples of the northern kingdom. So, so we see that this vision that Daniel is is getting even even 200 years later over 200 years later after Alexander the Great has died that 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 these events actually happened so he goes on and describes ruler after ruler 
king after king in the north and the south fighting, making uh, agreements, violating agreements, going back on agreements, and, and, and we come down to, uh, to, to verse 16, and he's leading up to the second phase of this, um, uh, of this prophecy. The first one being from, from the time after Cyrus up to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, around 174-168 B.C. And in verse 16, he, he begins the, describing the events that lead up to Antiochus Epiphanes. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land with the destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward, afterward he shall face turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the king kingdom but within a few days shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty was not given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully and he shall be come strong with the small people. It's it's verse 16 is kind of begins the backstory of Antiochus the 4th who is known as Antiochus Epiphanes. Verse 16 is Antiochus the 3rd says he completes a marriage treaty with the with uh, between his daughter Cleopatra and Ptolemy the 5th. She marries him. Antiochus thinks, okay, she's going to be my spy. But she ends up being more in love with Ptolemy V and siding with him. So Antiochus can't go up, move against Egypt and attack them. So he moves and, and starts trying to expand his kingdom toward the Mediterranean coast. But he, get, he ends up being uh, defeated by uh, Romans who are coming down. Rome is just now beginning to, to become a player, and he's, he's defeated there. He returns home, but on his way back, he's, he's kind of devastated and, and decides, okay, I'm just going to stop here in Elam, and I'm going to loot this temple. Well, he gets killed. So, Seleucus IV becomes king in his place around 160, 170 uh, B.C., and he sets his sights on raiding the temple in Jerusalem, 
but he has a, a vision that prevents him from doing that. He is assassinated soon thereafter. Said so he's 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 the one spoken of there in verse twenty, um, an exactor of tribute for the glory. But within a few days he shall be broken. He dies, and Tychus the fourth becomes king. And Tychus the fourth was actually the brother of of Seleucus the fourth. Seleucus's son Demetrius should have been king, but Antiochus was a a a vile person, a a contemptible person, and he steals the kingdom. So the next section we had the section leading up to Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus the fourth, verses twenty one through thirty five deal with this great blasphemer, this. Uh, this one of the worst rulers, leaders, kings in the history of kings, th- that he 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 is trying to expand his territory. He's not ha- happy with just the that one. It's bigger landmass than one fourth of Alexander the Great's kingdom, Syria, Babylon. He he presses into uh, Israel. He goes down to fight. Uh, the the um, Egyptians, the Ptolemaic uh, dynasty, the the Romans intercept him and 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 defeat him and and it said that one general said, okay, you can either fight or withdraw. You've got to uh, you've got to make your decision before you get out of this circle. He drew a circle in the sand. Antiochus chickens out, doesn't want to fight the Romans, goes back, going back to Syria, stops in Jerusalem, and that begins the abomination, the desolation that, that Daniel speaks of where he, he raided the temple. He brought in idols to, to Zeus, Rome, uh, Greek Idols. He sacrificed a pig on the altar. He he uh, stopped sacrifices according to uh, the the Jewish principles. It says that he he uh, profaned the temple there in verse thirty one, taking away the regular burnt offerings. He set up the abomination that makes desolate. That he shall seduce many. But one of the key verses, in chapter eleven. Verse 32, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. The first 35 verses of chapter 11 are history to us, but we can't forget that it was prophecy to Daniel. It's foretelling the future in Daniel's day in a remarkable way. We can look back. We can figure out. History tells us who all these kings are that are that are going back and forth in 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 in, in these verses. But it was prophecy to Daniel. It had not happened when Daniel was seeing it and hearing it from the angel. What can that fact 
teach us? What can we learn from, from that alone that, that, yeah, we can go back and now we can see that those things that Daniel saw that the angel told him were true. Well, what kind of God can foretell these things? Only the true God can reveal these things before they happen. The only way these detailed events can be prophesied and then made to come true is that the God of the Bible stands behind them and determines their outcome. No other God can do that. It proves this God is real. Where is it recorded? It's recorded in God's Word. It, it, it validates God's Word to us. It shows us that God's Word is trustworthy. God's Word is, is true. If God fulfilled these prophecies, the promises that He has given us, He will keep them also. No matter what kind of dilemma or difficulty that we're in, Israel is going through difficult times. When Daniel receives the message, they've gone back to Jerusalem. They're, they're under opposition to rebuild the temple. It's not going to get any easier. After Alexander the Great conquers the world, including Israel, and then that king, his kingdom is divided, and they're stuck between Egypt and Syria, the, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, and, and the constant fighting back and forth, and then Antiochus, Epiphanes. It's not going to get any is easier for Israel. But just as God was with them and kept His promises, He keeps His promises to us no matter how difficult our days may be. The final phase is, is the end of time, as James Montgomery Boyce calls it. Sinclair Ferguson calls it the Antichrist. Ian Duguid says, Phase three, one greater than Antiochus. This is another one of those passages that, that scholars debate. You know, who, who is referred to in verses 30, uh, 36, 35 to the, to the end of the chapter? Is this just a continuation on Antiochus Epiphanes? John Calvin even saw it as, as Rome, not one specific emperor. Most today see it as uh, the Antichrist, the future Antichrist, that Antiochus Epiphanes was a type. The Antichrist will be, will be far worse than Antiochus Epiphanes, as bad as he was. It's not as obvious of a shift in the language of a then the king shall do, but there's enough bits in here that did not really apply to Antiochus Epiphanes. 
verse 36, and the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. Antiochus Epiphanes did some of that. He called himself Epiphanes manifestation, but he didn't really set himself up as being God. He worshiped Apollo, said he shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers. That was half true, not half true, or to the one beloved by women. That was a, a Greek goddess they're referring to. Um, he shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. That, that even as bad as Antiochus Epiphanes was, he didn't quite reach that um, standard of, of uh, or lowness of, of depravity. We'll, we'll try to... We're going to stop there. End of, end of chapter 11. I know we didn't read the whole thing like we normally do. Um, you can go back and listen to this again. Hit the pause button. Read read the, the, the passages. Um, and then hopefully finish chapter 12 next week. And then re-begin or start all over. Daniel 1, verse 1, Sunday, August 30th in the Fellowship Hall. But I'll also make uh, continue to do the recording uh, in case for, for ones who can't be there, aren't comfortable um, going to, to church. But what can we glean from this? And I hope this wasn't too mixed up um, that you're thinking, I have no idea because I don't know what you said. Um, hopefully it made some sense. But... Like Sinclair Ferguson said, I, I read it, his quote earlier, after all is said and done on this difficult chapter, we should not lose sight of the fact that the whole function was to encourage Daniel to faithfulness in prayer, showing him that the real conflict behind the world events is spiritual the Lord was teaching Daniel that the, his real weapon is prayer. The real weapon of the church is prayer. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and conflicts. Daniel was concerned about the opposition that the Jews were receiving in Jerusalem at the time that they returned to rebuild the temple. This is turning out not to be like the Exodus when Israel left Egypt and was and, and was given the promised land. They had to fight. They had to drive out the Canaanites. But then after, after living there for 600, 700 years and being unfaithful to the Lord, and God brought first the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom, then the Babylonians to conquer the, the, the southern kingdom, Israel is going back to the land, but it's not the same as as when they first received the promised land after their disobedience. They Israel is suffering the consequences of their sins. God is showing Daniel it's it's bad, but it's going to continue to get bad until when? All of these earthly kingdoms, kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, you know, ad nauseum 
fighting Israel's torn until what? Until God establishes his kingdom, the kingdom of Messiah. Saying that's gonna be, that's gonna be your salvation, Israel. No earthly kingdom, regardless of what continent or or hemisphere they're in, no earthly kingdom is going to provide the salvation for men and women. It's not until Christ returns and sets up the everlasting kingdom of God that these spiritual battles, these spiritual conflicts will will end. Daniel is called to believe, to continue to believe. Verse 32 in, in, in chapter 11, the people who know their God will resist. Daniel's called to believe. Faith in God's sovereign power, no matter how bad things might be for Israel, for Daniel. And Daniel is well into his 80s now. But in recording this, he's telling, he's giving Israel the lesson to believe in God's promises. Verse 32 said, Those who, the people who know their God shall stand firm. Verse 33, And the wise among the teachers shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. Another application is that to teach those around us. Ian Duguid says, We're constantly surrounded by peoples whose thoughts are shaped entirely by present realities rather than ultimate realities. The ultimate reality is that, that Jesus Christ is coming again and will set up his everlasting kingdom. How much of our conversation and our and our thoughts have to do with sharing that good news? That there is a goal and a purpose that God has set up. It says those who are wise will instruct many on on what's to come. And finally, I mean, it's always so an obvious application, but that we're to pray. That prayer is a revolutionary activity by which weak and mortal. This is Ian. This is uh, Ian Duguid, not Dave Thomas. Prayer is the revolutionary activity by which weak mortal creatures can take our stand in the great cosmic battle and do our part to move heaven and earth toward God's final victory. God has a plan, but we're still called to pray and to seek His will. In reading this and thinking of the different kingdoms and this kind of uh, makes me think Jesus said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've got millennial and centuries, millennial of earthly kingdoms. And Jesus said we should pray 
to God that his kingdom will come. Father, I thank you for your word. God, give us time to, to just digest this and understand and see how awesome you are, that you're the one true God who can tell your people hundreds of years, now even thousands of years before these events happened. Just open up the veil a little bit we, that we see that in the end you conquer all evil and Christ is set on his throne for eternity. It's in his name I pray. Amen.